Welcome to this third podcast in our series about the Transcarrier spill in February 2020. This was Guard's first major pollution case involving plastic pollution from plastic pellets, or nurdles, as they're often called. In the first two podcasts, I've talked with those who were involved in the spill and cleanup. Looking for an independent and expert view, I reached out to SALT, a Norwegian research and advisory company specializing in marine pollution, marine management, and coastal development. This is my conversation with Brita Stahl, a policy advisor, and Joan Fabres, a scientist who has focused for many years on the cause and effect of marine plastic litter. So, Joan Fabres and Brita Stoll uh, from SALT. First of all, I'd like to start out by just having you tell me what SALT is all about. So, maybe we start with uh, you, Brita? Yeah, um, SALT is a uh, marine um, uh, consultancy. Uh, we have worked with the environmental issues uh, over 10 years. So, we are concentrated on marine uh, pollution, uh, marine policy, uh, and also uh, on uh, what we call sustainable coastal communities. Uh, so in within those three areas, we work with research, uh, outreach, um, uh, activation, organization, uh, many different uh, uh, ways of working, uh, but within those three, uh, what we call, uh, uh, well, uh, it's our research areas. So um, I am um, head of our international work. And I guess, Yuan, you can say something about your uh, your area of expertise. Yes, uh, as, as Brita said, in, in, in South we work mainly on three areas. One is uh, uh, related to, directly related to what we're discussing here today, marine pollution and then uh, marine litter. And there is another area of working with uh, sustainable coastal communities, future-oriented sustainable coastal communities. And the area in which I'm working, uh, I'm helping to develop right now is, is marine management, how we better manage uh, human activities at sea and especially along the coastline for, for the case of Norway to uh, ensure the uh, benefit of, of uh, the resources we have in the ocean for a in the long term. Let's just talk a little bit about uh, nurdle pollution in general. Do you have any kind of comment about the scope of the of the pollution caused by nurdles? Uh, I can I can take that one. Nurdles or uh, pellets uh, they are typified as as microplastic. They are normally around three millimeters in diameter. Of course, it depends on the producer and depends on the kind of uh, polymer that is used. Um, but they are under five millimeter, which is the boundary for microplastic, macroplastic. And, and we are we know that microplastic is present in absolutely all the compartments of the marine environment, from the surface, the water column, the seafloor, the sediments in the beaches. It's, it's extremely, um, um, pervasive, uh, you, you find microplastic, including uh, um, pellets, absolutely everywhere. And, and the issue is the concentration in which you find them, and certainly shorelines and beaches, due to the characteristics of uh, pellets, are a hotspot for uh, their concentration when we talk about noodles that float. You, you also have um, pellets that, that are made of uh, polymers that are 
denser than seawater and therefore they sink when they are uh, when they reach the, the marine environment and we don't get to see them uh, floating on the surface or washing up on beaches because they, they disperse through the seafloor and they are dragged through bottom currents but the ones that float they 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 stay in the surface and then they wash uh, out on beaches we do know from from the transcarrier spill that um, these pellets are a commodity and they're carried like uh, many commodities in in containers from where they're produced to where they're um, going to be used to produce new products. But when you do have a spill, what uh, what what happens um, once those uh, pellets uh, hit the hit the sea? Well, um, if we relate directly to this spill, uh, there's been a lot of uh, reports, um, one of them from the Coastal Guard. Um, and, and of course, as Yuan describes, the, the currents and waves uh, and wind will carry uh, these, these uh, nurdles. I, I mean, we have to, they're as small as a, a grain of pepper. Uh, so it, it, they can really just travel uh, quite far distances. Uh, and uh, if it's heavy waves, they can be washed up in the terrain. They can be blended in with the grass and the forest. Uh, they can they can really mobilize and and be spread and remobilize again. So what this uh, coastal guard report really um, really quite clearly um, uh, describes is is the is the 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 depth and the 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 like the the reach of of these um, these uh, nurdles or or pellets. Uh, and I think they said that they, uh, they or they found them in, in the the eastern parts of Norway, up in the Oslo fjord, uh, as well as uh, around the, the southern parts of Norway. So they have really traveled widely. And I think the the coastal guard they had a they had a, a measure on it that was uh, ten thousand six hundred kilometers of reach, which is which is a lot. And and um, I guess reading through that report that really describes firstly the methods of trying to clean this up, um, they really show us the 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 the, the, the like the the huge area that these are able to to travel to and and how it really becomes clear that time is of essence when such a spill happens because the sooner uh, we can react. Uh, the less uh, these huge amounts uh, can travel. Uh, so so um, I, I guess uh, <laughs> reading between the lines of that report is also, it, it's clear that uh, the, the cleanup is extensive, expensive, it's immensely time consuming. So, so the sooner we can, we can um, set action and, and start this and, and actually know the, 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 the depths of the, the spill, uh, the better. If you go through the Coastal Guard report, it, it was 13.2 metric tons uh, of nurdles. And even with the extensive cleanup efforts that was uh, carried out across the different uh, um, beaches and, and areas that, that these were located in, they could still only clean up four tons. So let's talk a little bit about what, uh, you know, these pellets, I, I, uh, I've seen them. I didn't really, it wasn't really on my radar until a couple of years ago when, um, 
we were asked by the Vara Slender, which is the local sort of beach cleaning um, uh, NGO, to look for, specifically look for nurdles and to collect them in one of the uh, Hold Norgarent uh, cleanups. And we guard does this on Merdo. Um, and I was very surprised if you kind of got down and looked at the sort of the grains, you actually could pick out um, nurdles, plastic pellets. They look very much like uh, sand, but you could actually uh, find them. So we didn't find that many, but we did find uh, a handful. And this was before the transcarrier spill. Um, so I guess my question really is, what harm do they do? When we're talking impact, uh, we, we can look at very different aspects. Uh, we we have uh, many different uses of the marine environment. Uh, one of the uses of the marine environment, coastal environment we make, and probably one of the most appreciated and valued, and maybe with the highest economic value in Southern Norway, is the aesthetic uh, value of the coastline. We use the coastline for recreational purposes. And there is a big industry behind that use of uh, the coastline uh, for recreational purposes. The tourism industry, it's it's relying on having a pristine, nice looking, uh, aesthetically healing coastline for that. Uh, and that, that may even become more important with the present situation with COVID-19 in which uh, travel internationally to find those pristine, fantastic environments is, is much more constrained and reduced now. So, so I think people will keep on using uh, the Norwegian coastline as a place where they where they and uh, go for for enjoyment and the mere visual impact of a beach that is covered in plastic noodles uh, has a has a non uh, um, um, not uh, small makes, makes you feel bad <laughs> makes you feel yes. bad I guess. Yeah. Instead, what, instead of what, instead of having a good feeling of going to the shoreline of enjoying the the uh, nature, it, you get the completely opposite. You get you get down instead of up. So I think that's that's the first one we have to consider in here. We don't have to go much further than that to to understand that we have to make we have to take action on this. We we cannot allow that to happen over and over again because we will end up having a coastline that doesn't give back what we are expecting uh, it to give back. And when we move more to the uh, um, ecological impact, impact uh, on organisms that may also be a resource afterwards, because some of those organisms we are using for uh, for uh, as a food source, then then we may need to see what's what's happening with those noodles. And um, we 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 have seen that those noodles maybe, especially in the in the transcarrier incident. Uh, um, they haven't been uh, tracked to be uh, found in, in the stomachs of fishes, for example. Um, I haven't seen any work uh, done on, uh, but I think I think maybe Britta can complement on here. I haven't seen work done on, on the presence of those noodles in the stomach of birds, uh, which which are, uh, especially some seabird species, uh, have been shown to, to actually have noodles in their stomach. But um, still, it's to be seen how uh, impactful that is on those organisms. We know that in some cases, the continued ingestion of plastic particles can actually lead to clogging the stomach of organisms. Uh, in in seabirds, that is the case. 
we know that that once their uh, stomachs get uh, completely full with uh, with plastic, they have a false uh, society feeling. They stop eating because they believe that they are they have enough food. Uh, when when there is no nutrition value in what they have in their stomach, so that that leads to to starvation. And again, in there we have a species that may not be keystone species for as uh, food resources, but they have certainly a role to play in ecosystems, and they have a role to play in the biodiversity. So so we have to be we have to be uh, cognizant of the fact that even if those noodles haven't been identified in in organisms in the Norwegian coastline since the incident. Uh, it cannot be just ruled out that they will end up there. That we may have not been looking at the right species. We know, for example, fulmar, uh, which is a seabird that is uh, uh, common in, in in the north of Norway, for example, does uh, does prey on plastic particles and and uh, a very very large share of these fulmars, for example, have been shown to have plastic in their stomachs. I think I think it's it's over 90% in certain areas that that they show up with plastic and nurdles amongst those plastic particles. So let's um, let's let uh, Brita uh, follow up with the the fulmers. But what what I hear you saying, um, Joan, is that with respect to the um, investigation that was done with the trans carrier, there was no um, finding, at least at this point, of uh, fish ingesting these. But let's uh, let's listen to Brita about uh, the bird species. Yeah, well, I, I guess in relation to this exact spill, uh, there was a uh, a uh, fear that uh, there had been a a mass die off, 300, 400 birds of these. Um, I think they're either in in uh, English, it's arful in Norwegian, um, and they were scared that this was actually linked to this this uh, massive spill. Uh, but the research done by Nina, the Norwegian Institute of Nature Research, uh, shows that the the uh, they've investigated 40, uh, 50 birds uh, um, that um, uh, were feeding around uh, the mo the most uh, uh, impacted areas, and they could not find. Uh, noodles uh, in their stomachs, uh, and I know that also the the research by the Norwegian uh, Marine Research Institute uh, that looked at fish uh, that is also uh, present uh, in the or local species uh, with with great presence around these areas. They investigated uh, 633 fish, and they could not uh, see that they they were were feeding uh, on this nurdle. So uh, as Yuan says, uh, what is uh, what is the the risk here is that we don't know the full impact and we don't know the full impact when this uh, these uh, um, pieces uh, become smaller or if they they um, spread even more in the environment. So so uh, we we cannot rely solidly only on these on these two uh, investigated species that that they have uh, looked at. Uh, but I want to really also follow up on the first point that Yuan mentions, because I think we, we seem to kind of forget that um, the, the highest uh, um, impact is really that we don't know where this is ending up. And, and as I said, we, we lost uh, in this one case, we lost 13 tons, we, we could uh, find four. Uh, and and when we then see that Synthep has done research on some of the other nurdles found in the same areas, there's 
there's neurals from several previous spills that weren't tracked. They could find uh, they could find other um, polymers, other um, other um, uh, pellets that that they could not link to this spill, uh, which really shows us that okay, if this happened over time, this has a huge impact on on our uh, beaches, on our environment, the way the, the way we know them, and uh, and these effects are long lasting. Uh, I think there's one example of uh, uh, it's an island in the Dutch uh, Wadden Sea um, that had a spill in in January 2019, and the the this the pellets keep continuously washing up and the, and the impact on the local economies uh, can be considerable, you know, because this really uh, it does not create attractive beaches that you know that you're swimming around in, in plastic. Uh, it is plastic waste, right? Um, so I think both the 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 kind of the recreation and leisure activities, but also the coastal communities that has to clean this up for years and years and years, because this this one uh, concentrated cleanup action by the Coastal Guard, this campaign, that's one thing, but it will, we know that there's there's uh, at least, uh, what is it, nine, uh, nine tons still uh, that that uh, is still out there uh, that will keep washing in uh, everywhere. I think, uh, you know, as you've already pointed out, as as time goes by, you have the situation where the uh, material sort of gets buried and then it reemerges. It, it goes out it, when the uh, the tide is high and, uh, you know, comes back in um, in the next high tide. So, you know, the cycle goes on. But I think with the certainly with the trans carriers bill, um, I think there's a realization that there is a limit to what you can actually effectively um, pick up. So I think their their solution was we're not going to be able to find every nurdle that was built, but we can pick up plastic in in a greater um, uh, tonnage than what actually came from the ship. So I think the effort is to remove plastic from the environment, even though it's not specifically the plastic that was spilled. So I don't know, do you have a, I mean, isn't that kind of the best um, possibility? I mean, at some point you cannot find every <laughs> every pellet. I, I in in any situation you cannot find any pellet. It's in, uh, I think if you if you honestly read through the coastal guard report in between the lines it says this is impossible, and I think we need to realize that. And I think it's very honorable of any agent to go out and say that we will remove more plastic from the environment that we actually let out. But but that will also take time. So I'm 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 inviting every everyone who's been involved with the spill to just join forces and and start cleaning up beaches because that's that's what we need to do. Uh, but I also think we we need to learn from this incident that the point is not the cleanup action. The point is that this cannot happen in the first run. And I think that leads us on to to maybe the policy debate and and the regulative debate and and the question also for which is a high interest for an insurer that ends up paying for this uh, is that what can we do in the first place to ensure that we have a, a active um, uh, and, and a knowledgeable insight into what are we carrying, what are we transporting, can we do any extra effort for any of these substances or 
or materials that uh, that we are are transporting and and is there should we start considering uh, extra uh, security measures when we when we do transport for example uh, pallets like this uh, i don't know double walled and uh, sealed containers inside containers you i you tell me but but there there can be measures that are much much more um, uh, effective and uh, well just uh, miles away when you look into the economy of this uh, because the cleaning up effort is is super expensive it's it's time consuming and it, it uh, you still won't make it I think it's uh prevention is is better than cure I think is the way <laughs> they say it but I I couldn't agree more with that and I think at least uh, from the um, the transcarrier experience the 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 member actually um, took voluntary sort of um, effort to say okay well there's an easy thing that we can do and that is to change where we put the container and not to put it on the outside of the stove. So to have that sort of extra protection about uh, where in the stove the container is located, I think that's a you know that's probably a a pretty straightforward uh, response on something like this. But I think as you were mentioning, we need to do this on a larger policy level and maybe perhaps a sort of a global level. Um, so do you do you want to make a comment about? where we can go policy-wise? I mean, there, there is certainly two, two ways to go. One thing is, is uh, increasing the pressure for uh, carrying the cost of spilling non-toxic substances in the ocean. Uh, that could be one, one way of, of uh, in increasing the motivation uh, from uh, those that are handling non-toxic substances uh, in the ocean to double up the prevention uh, because the economic consequences of a spill uh, have a higher economic cost. So then the investment is made to uh, increase prevention and to reduce the potential for incidents happening. That is one. The other one could be to uh, qualify or typify uh, plastic, uh, uh, virgin plastic, uh, plastic pellets as a as a hard substance and then it would fall already within another set of regulations that that doesn't allow the transportation under certain conditions and that immediately uh, brings brings the transportation of those substances into another category and therefore it has to follow uh, another set of procedures when 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 handled stowed etc etc so there is there is both i mean maybe and the discussion uh, around Typifying, for example, plastic waste as a hazardous substance has already been out there in the international uh, convention uh, sphere. Um, that is that is one, but maybe maybe uh, the, the the another way of, of uh, re or adapting policy would be to look into uh, strengthening the sanctions for spilling non-toxic substances, uh, because even if non-toxic, these substances. Uh, may still have uh, severe consequences for the marine environment. As we were discussing, it is still unclear to see what's the toxicity of microplastic, for example. But so then, typifying uh, noodles are 
toxic, maybe regulatory uh, difficult, but then we may look into uh, still uh, increasing the pressure on uh, uh, fines, for example, on spilling non-toxic substances. I think, you know, just, just to comment from the, the P&I insurer side, you know, this seems to be a common um, approach, and that is to sort of punish the polluter. But in the in the real world, it's the P&I clubs who are paying for cleanup and they're paying for um, pollution fines coming from accidental spills. So it's a it's a risk that's spread over the entire marine um, ship owning community through their insurers. So it's not I, I think the the um, it's not a, as direct um, an incentive as some may may think and when you when you consider the amount of cargo that's carried safely aboard ships you you have to realize that at some point there can be casualties that that are accidents and part of uh you know moving cargo in a very dynamic environment so um you know, I I, uh, I I know there may be calls for increasing fines, but that's not always um, as direct an answer as as uh, one may expect. That's just uh, my <laughs> my comment. I, I totally agree with world. you. I totally agree with you, Kim. I think uh, the polluter pay principle is totally ruined by by insurer <laughs> insurers <laughs> that take take the the full uh, full uh, uh, you know um pay so so i think what if we look into traditional risk management and crisis response here uh, related to to the regulatory setup uh, first of all how do we define this is it an accidental spill well of course if if we always say that oh wait th there was there was a storm and then then it will always become uh, and an accidental spill and it will be littering caused by the spill but uh what we what we need to like start thinking about is okay where is it that we could have implemented uh proper risk management systems or proper risk management procedures that enabled us to not have these these spills that just happened accidentally because we need to to start defining where those borders are and i think what what made this case kick off uh, in 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 the coastal guard uh, because this was delayed as you you know but it was really getting into that this wasn't just a a small spill it was actually what uh, comes into the Norwegian uh, uh, law as um, as uh, uh, paragraph thirty eight in the in the pollution uh, or I don't know what it's in English but it's the 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 legal framework for for pollution uh, and and I think that's where we also need to to start looking and and maybe for, from an insurance point of view also that uh, as soon as we have more uh, uh, regulatory frameworks for how we are going to transport what the insurer can also say that no this was actually not uh, something that we can call an accident anymore this was uh, this was uh, 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 unsecured goods or this was a, a, a way of um, carrying these uh, these um, containers uh, in a in a not a uh, according to procedure so so I think 
in order for the polluter pay principles to to be valid in international transport, there needs to be uh, better ways of of defining how we transport what. Uh, and I think I, I have lived in Sri Lanka and India and and have uh, been. Um, witnessing <laughs> when whenever a cargo ship had lost a container suddenly the beach was full of of sneakers and shoes which just was a huge <laughs> huge joy for everyone running down get trying to find a, a matching pair of pair of shoes but uh, for for things like pellets the the cleanup job is impossible and then then i think we should uh, also start expecting that there is different ways of securing those kind of goods. So in the in the big scope, we might uh, see that both the polluter pay principle and the the the, the proper pricing of, of carbon can change this um, in, in the longer term. But of course, in the shorter term, I think um, I would at least like to see a better uh, regulatory framework. I um I think that certainly with respect to oil spills, regulatory framework was very important in in bringing down the incidence and severity of oil spills from particularly from um, tankers uh, over a 40 50 year period. And there are many different ways that regulation assisted in 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 doing that, and it was successful. But we still do have oil spills, um, not anywhere near the frequency um, or severity in the, you know, the 1970s, for example. Um, so I think it's it's impossible to remove all risk. But as you say, it is possible to mitigate risk by taking certain um, regulatory changes. And I think uh, certainly from from our point of view as a international insurer, we'd like to see that on a on a international uh, basis. Um, so I think um, uh, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. And I think uh, Guard will be closing or will be following that very closely. So I really want to, I think you're really into something. So you understand I'm the, I'm the uh, <laughs> economist and, and uh, not the, uh, the bio, uh, the marine biologist in, in salt. Uh, so uh, I really want to re revisit because I think you have a brilliant point uh, in in uh, guards' interest in um, actually seeing uh, more regulation just to protect your own uh, uh, business. But uh, if we turn that on its head, uh, it could also be an initiative from insurers uh, to to work with their clients to do these efforts voluntary because I see this everywhere. We work with the plastic industry in, in many different aspects and we cannot sit and wait for the regulators or the, the big international uh, institutions to, to come and say how they want it to be. We can also start voluntary initiatives and uh, just throwing out a wild idea if Guard gives bonuses to its clients that can show or prove that they secure goods that has the ability to to cause these kind of uh, environmental spills, I mean that would just really, first of all, make you look really cool in the insurance <laughs> industry, but also, I mean, it would really set a point and and just raising the 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 uh, you know the the uh, the whole impression of of your clients so uh, so really not waiting we cannot 
become these people that just sit and wait for someone to tell us what is right and wrong. Uh, there is also the ability to turn things around and be the front runners in, in all of our industries and, and try to use innovation uh, and, and, uh, and take some of these measures on our own. Well, Brita, Guard would definitely like to be seen as a cool insurer. Our members and all members in the international group clubs do play by the regulatory rules in securing containers. And I can say, um, you know, in a way, members are rewarded because premium is affected by their loss record. Um, but I do completely agree that we can't just wait for regulation specific to NERDLs. And I think um, voluntary programs should run parallel to any efforts to push regulatory changes in how NERDLs are classified and carried. I think there's an opportunity for the plastics industry to get together with shipping interests, including insurers, and come up with ways to reduce risk of nurdle spills. Location of containers in the stove, more robust packaging within the containers, tracking of containers lost overboard, and lots of other possibilities. Yeah, exactly. Uh, none of the people that were supposed to receive these pellets probably think it's a great idea that they're floating around anywhere either. So it's like it's the full uh, supply chain that are affected. And if we can insert uh, small procedures at the, at the beginning of the chain uh, that can limit the need for huge payouts at the at the end of the chain, I think uh, that's the, the smartest way to go about things. And I think you're, you know, you're right. And that's one thing that we're doing with our members is trying to look for um, reasonable, cost-effective loss prevention methods so that uh, we don't have to bear the cost of uh, picking up this material, which, as you say, can be very expensive. It's not entirely effective. Um, and there's reputational risk. So, you know, it's kind of a a win-win, but just to sort of get back to the idea of regulation, from certainly from our point of view, it does take a long time and you have to sort of push. However, it's really necessary in a global international business for an even playing field because it, it, it's not profitable for certain companies to take all these extra efforts where others are are not so you need to have you need to have uh, regulation on a on an international basis i think we touched upon a lot of good things and it's always good to not just provide answers but to also ask some of the big questions great well thank you so much we really appreciate your participation and your point of view <laughs>